Hello, and welcome to It's Not Magic, a podcast from Sixth Street about business building that strips away the pretense and gets right to the useful stuff. I'm your host, David Steepleman. We use this show to talk to founders and industry leaders and get them to explain in plain English what they set out to do and specifically how they do it. In this episode, we're speaking with the co-founder and CEO of the Texas Tribune, Evan Smith, who alongside his co-founder and venture capitalist, John Thornton, saw a problem, namely the deterioration of local news, and created a solution, a new model for nonpartisan, nonprofit journalism, which is now being replicated across the country. One of the things I've realized over these 13 years is that a lot of people who have great intentions, a lot of them come from the journalism side of journalism as opposed to the business side of journalism, think that just having a good idea and identifying a need and an unserved audience is enough. It is not. It is the beginning of the conversation. Here's the insane stat. Since 2005, about 2,200 of America's local newspapers have gone under. To put that in context, there are about 3,000 counties in all of the United States. And when readers consume only national news, they're more polarized and they vote less. Since launching in 2009, the Texas Tribune has raised over $100 million from donors across the political spectrum, including us here at 6th Street, and has racked up 13 national Edward R. Murrow Awards, three general excellence awards from the Online News Association, and a Peabody as well. With the belief that a better informed public strengthens democracy, Evan set up the Tribune for success with a unique revenue model, top-tier reporters, and unrelenting commitment to foundational values. In this episode, we'll hear what went right and what went wrong along the way, and what it's like being a vegetarian New Yorker in Texas for the last 30 years. How did it happen? Why did it work? It's not magic, so let's find out. Evan Smith, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for doing this. You led the Texas Monthly Magazine, and you guys won a bunch of national awards. The Washington Post said, gee, if local journalism manages to survive, give Evan Smith some credit. You're kind of a legend in, in journalism. I ran my college newspaper. I feel like we're kind of peers. Is that, you think that's fair? <laughs> well, I, th I think you've done a little bit better than I have uh, professionally. Um, <laughs> listen, I, th I think that we come from the same uh, kind of background and we both really want to do good work in the world. Uh, I will tell you that there may be more opportunity to do good work in the world doing what you do than there is doing what I do. And, and part of the reason that we started the Texas Tribune 13 years ago is because we were alarmed at the lack of good work being done, generally speaking, in the media business. It, it was a profession in decline. It needed a revival. We've been part of the revival. There's still a lot of work to do. Thanks for going to that moment, because I want to talk about that. John Thornton, you should tell us who he is right. and what that approach was. What was that conversation? John Thornton's a venture capitalist. Uh, he was at one point managing partner, then back again to lowly general partner of a firm called Austin Ventures, which I know had a significant role to play in investing in uh, early stage technology, software companies. Um, sure. Here, here in Austin, John was a, a brilliant guy, was and is a brilliant guy. And a public spirited guy, somebody who made a lot of money, did not have to do anything in the area of helping to revive journalism, but saw an opportunity and a need and um, came to me. He, were, he and I were old uh, personal friends. We'd never worked together, but he came to me at one point in probably 07. He had been thinking about buying the Austin American Statesman or had investigated on behalf of his firm, at least, the idea of the Austin American Statesman being acquired. That is, of course, the daily newspaper in Austin. It was owned at the time by the Cox family. It was on the market. They ended up pulling it off the market at the time because they couldn't get the price that they wanted for it, which should have been a tell, as they say, at the poker tables in Las Vegas, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but Thornton came to me and said, look, I want to save capital J journalism, by which he meant serious 
public service journalism. He said there's not nearly enough of it in the world. There are fewer places to do it. There are fewer reporters doing it. There's less of, a, of an opportunity in the existing media for that kind of stuff to be done. I think we need a new economic model because the for-profit model is not working. He described it as a market failure. He was absolutely right. And in fact, he didn't know how right he was back in 07, 08. If you fast forward 15 years, you and I are sitting here at the beginning of March. There was a 60 Minutes report on uh, on the show on Sunday uh, talking about the decline in local news and how the hedge funds have gotten in the in the business of buying up these distressed assets. That's what they are. Yeah. And the future on the for-profit side of our business is not bright. Uh, John saw that back then, and he came to me and said, I'd like to start something with a nonprofit economic model, and I'd like your help. Were you already thinking about that, or, or, or were you thinking, what is this guy talking about? Well, I was thinking two things. I was thinking, first of all, we've done the best barbecue restaurants on the cover of Texas Monthly so many times since I got there that I am <laughs> bored to death. I cannot stare at another piece of brisket on the cover of this magazine ever again. But is Louis Miller your favorite? Well, I'm, I'm going to confess something to you, David, and to the world. I've been a vegetarian since 1984. You could not have said that when you were starting in 1992 at the Texas Monthly Magazine, presumably. Well, well I, I was quiet about it. I, I'll say I never <laughs> lied about it, but I also never wore a sandwich board around and like had a bell. I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> well, I will say there's actually one public uh, moment of recognition. Calvin Trillin came down to Austin, the great New Yorker writer. Um, after we pronounced Snow's Barbecue in Lexington, yeah, Texas. I, he wrote a famous piece. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. wrote a piece. And there was a moment where Calvin Trillin and I and a couple of my colleagues at the magazine, Greg Curtis, the former editor, Steve Harrigan, the great writer and novelist, Paul Burke, the political editor, we caravan over to Snow's. And uh, we get in line to get food and I decline to be served. And Calvin Trillin <laughs> made a huge, a huge deal of this because – Someone, I guess somebody, maybe it was Paul Burka, was asked by the server, oh, is he not having any? And Paul Burka said something to the effect of like, oh, he ate already. And Calvin Trillin said, you're embarrassed to admit that your friend is a vegetarian. Um, <laughs> so it's I never ate any of that barbecue. But I still knew that as many times as we had done barbecue on the cover, I didn't want to do that again. I, I, had, I had kind of circled the drain at that point. But then the second thing is I was skeptical of John's idea uh, of making as a business. I mean, part of the thing that, as I tell the origin story of the Tribune, is that there was a period of 12 or, or 15 months where John was trying to get me to convince, trying to convince me to come and join him in this thing. And I was like, yeah, dude, I think this is a good idea substantively, but I'm not sure that the economics of this are going to work out. Can you really raise money to support serious journalism philanthropically? Okay. Uh, that, I, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that, yeah. that's a super interesting moment because, you know, Hopefully, when people are listening to this, they're either people who have started businesses or thinking about starting businesses, and and, yeah. and they want to know how to do it right. Slow down that moment. Like, how right. did how did you how did you dig into that and figure out? Okay, actually, this could work. Well, part of it was self interest. I was thinking about leaving Texas Monthly to join this thing, and I wasn't interested in joining something that was not going to succeed or didn't have a chance of success. And I was actually concerned mm -hmm. enough about it that I said to him, "I'm not going to do this with you until I'm convinced, and I may never be convinced, and may never join you." that the economics of this can work out. I said, I'm happy to help you figure out the person who should help you, but I'm not sure that person is me. I actually compared myself at the time to Dick Cheney helping George Bush find his vice president, <laughs> only to discover that he was the one he was looking for, which is kind of what happened to me. I, I went through this process of self-discovery and went on meetings with John to see wealthy people in Texas. And I'm telling you, David, I've never seen money raised more easily. Well, what was the pitch? The pitch was... 
This is not about journalism. This is about democracy. A better Texas is a better informed Texas. Regardless of your party, regardless of your partisanship, regardless of your ideology, we do not have enough informed Texans. We do not have enough thoughtful and productive citizens. The state has checked out. People who live here are not voting. They're not knocking on the doors of their legislators' offices. They're not writing to their members of Congress. They're not making their voices heard in their communities about issues that affect them because they don't know that those issues are in play. They don't know that there are fights going on waged in their name. They don't know the stakes they have and the outcomes of those fights. We were consistently 48th, 49th, 50th out of 50 states in voter turnout. Every indicator of our social health, of our civic health, all those indicators were heading in the wrong direction. And John saw and credited him with this, that journalism might be the, <laughs> the answer, a new way to revive accountability and explanatory journalism. Getting information, reliable, credible information in front of people would be the answer. And, you know, I, I, I believed in that again, but I was just skeptical of the economics of it. And then eventually I came to believe, yeah, you know, the money was probably there. So I'll tell you the aha moment for me. We had a meeting with a guy who was a biotech entrepreneur. He started a couple different companies and he sold them and he made a lot of money. And I knew him a little bit because I was the chair of the public television board in Austin. And we kind of passed in the revolving door. He was coming on as I was getting off the board. And I didn't really know him well, but I knew who he was. He's a very quiet guy. And, and one day, a meeting pops up on my calendar. Thornton and I are going to go see this guy for a drink at the Four Seasons in Austin at the bar after work on a weekday. Mm -hmm. And I had bought movie tickets that night. My wife and I were going to go to the movies. And so I knew that I had about an hour before I had to leave. We go to this meeting. We sit down with the guy, shake hands. John talks, I talk. John talks, I talk. Guy doesn't say very much at all. I'm getting no read on this guy. And an hour passes, and I've got movie tickets. And so I get up to leave, and I say, listen, I'm really sorry. It's been lovely to be with you. I appreciate you listening to us, but I've got movie tickets. I need to go. Thank you very much. And the guy gets up and he puts his hand out and he says, okay, I'm in for a hundred. And there was a beat and I thought he was going to say dollars. <laughs> and instead he said thousand. And then he said, go save my democracy. That was this big aha moment for me. He got it. The message got through that this was not about journalism. This was about democracy. This was about people having the means to be better citizens, better voters, better Texans, better Americans. I made the decision on the way to the movies that I was going to leave Texas Monthly. And really the kind of cherry on the Sunday was some period of time later, Texas Monthly was up for the National Magazine Award in General Excellence, which is like the Pulitzer for the magazine business or the best yep. picture Oscar. We were at yep. Rose Hall at Lincoln Center at the awards. And my friend Lucy Danziger, who was running one of the big women's magazines at the time, was the person presenting the award. And she opens the envelope and she says, and the winner is Texas Monthly. And so I get up, everyone's applauding, and I walk to the stage to accept the award. And on the way to the stage, I mouth the words, I quit to myself. I had this this idea that I needed to leave when things were going well for the magazine, take a victory lap and go. If you've ever read the Steve Martin uh, a book, uh, Born Standing Up, where he talks about his career and there's a moment where he says, you know, I was playing all these arena shows as a stand-up comedian and then I was in one arena performing and I look up in the top row of this arena and the seats were empty for the first time. And I never realized that before, that the seats were empty. And he said, I never did stand up again after that. I didn't want to wait until the seats in the top row were empty. 
Evan, you're you're from New York originally. Right. What drew you to Texas back in the early 90s? So I have to tell you that being a New Yorker, even after 30 years in Texas, is like being an alcoholic. You're never X, you're always recovering. Nobody <laughs> wants to give you a break in Texas if you're from New York. Nobody wants to give you a break if you're not from here, period. You know, people take very seriously the idea that you're from Texas. I've been here more than half my life. Yeah. I'm routinely described by people when I give speeches as they introduce me as the person who knows more about Texas than everybody else. And I laugh at that because I'm not from here. And there are still people who play the Lyle Lovett song, That's Right, He's Not From Texas, as my walk-on music all these years <laughs> all these years later. And I'm like, really? I've been here 30 years. Well, you can say you're of Texas, but you can't say you're from. Never really come to Texas to be in Texas. I just passed through in the car. And... um so I was in graduate school at Northwestern University in journalism school in a magazine publishing program in 1987 and 88. And I read a magazine I'd never read before called Texas Monthly. I read this magazine. I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. This is a magazine that for me is what all magazines should be. It has a sense of its audience. It has a sense of place. They've actually given over real estate page after page after page to long form journalism, narrative nonfiction, storytelling. It was like the old Sports Illustrated or the old Esquire, Harold Hayes Esquire from the 60s. And so I said, I got to get a job at this magazine. And I literally wrote to the editor in chief every couple of months for three years begging for any job. And it took me until the late part of 91 to actually apply for a job that was open yeah. that I that I got. Being transparently a New Yorker, did that help? Did it impede your ability to kind of get out there and, and learn things? Was it more of you were a step removed so you could be more objective? How did it work? You know, it was actually great to know that I had to persuade people that I wasn't a transient, that I wasn't just basically leaving the car running at the curb professionally, but that I really wanted to be here and that I wanted to yeah. learn everything I possibly could about Texas. I try to be a sponge at all times. If I'm interviewing somebody for a television program, I cram like I'm cramming for a test in college. Yeah. If I move to Texas to work in a magazine that's about Texas and I'm not from Texas – I spend every weekend, as I really did, in the car, driving to this place, driving to that place, talking to this person, getting to know about this thing, doing my homework. You always do the work. Always do the work. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of time persuading people of how serious I was, that I was going to actually do the work, get to know the state, never assume that I knew more than anybody else, but but at least become as acquainted as I possibly could at that age, at that stage of my life with this place that it was now going to be my home, it turns out now for more than 30 years. Amazing. Back to Texas Tribune. So yeah. you have that moment where you're, you mouth to yourself, I quit as you're going to get right. the magazine award in New York. And, and so you're going to do this. You tell Thornton, I'm going to do this. Let's do this. Right. And you start recruiting talent. Right. In the Washington Post piece, which Margaret Sullivan wrote, which is a really great piece. People should check it out. Actually, we'll put it up on the, on the site. You were like, when this started, yeah, people were kind of scoffing at me for doing this, and they didn't really take it seriously. And what was the pitch to an aspiring journalist? You want to get excellent journalists to come work for you. What, what are you telling the, them? I, I actually wondered if we'd get anybody to come join us because we didn't have a business plan. We didn't have a, a mocked-up website to show. We didn't have done any research or any feasibility studies or focus groups. We just had this idea that we saw what was happening in the world. We wanted to be a solution to the problem. And we went to young journalists who were working at the legacy papers who themselves were watching those papers hollow out from the inside. And we said, listen, um, this is a leap of faith, but it's a leap of faith that has a high probability of success. Now, of course, I'm not sure we would have believed that in the wee small hours talking to ourselves that it had a high probability of success. But we sold it to people on the idea. 
It's not a guarantee. It's not a certain thing, but it's got a high probability of success. And we have $4 million or so in the bank at that time. And uh, we want to give this a shot. We want you to jump over. And, you know, what I now think about in, re I, of course, I, I replay this series of moments, David, in my head in retrospect. Yeah. The, the greater risk, it turns out to them, was not leaving but staying. And the ones who could see that are the ones who joined. And honestly, I make it sound like there were some who we wanted to get and we couldn't get. The, the founders of this did a, essentially a fantasy baseball draft list of every journalist in the press corps who we wanted to hire, and we got every one of the people on that list. So it's not like we had wow. a, a low success rate at getting people or even a mixed success rate. We were 100% successful. But so what was what was in the head? What, what, what were you appealing to people? People just knew that whatever they were doing, it wasn't going to last. It was a melting ice cube. They had to do something. Right. If you worked at big newspaper X, clearly what was happening was there were going to be cutbacks after cutbacks, layoffs after layoffs. There were going to be hollowing out of the of the reporting resources that they were anticipating that they would have when they got into the business, when they took the job. And look, I, I want to be very clear about something. I don't root for any newspaper or for the for-profit side of our business to decline. I believe yeah. that we're all collaborators, not competitors. When the Dallas Morning News, Houston Chronicle, Austin American Statesman does good work, no one amplifies it louder than we do. We cheer for them. We want them to do great work. I can't affect the circumstances that relate to their functioning as a business. I can't. I don't want them to fail. They won't ever actually fail but they would acknowledge themselves, the leaders of those have acknowledged, they can't do as much as they once upon a time could. So the young people who were in those reporting jobs at the time saw, as we saw, that the road ahead was going to be littered with potholes and obstacles. And ultimately, the better thing might be come and join this thing that's going to um, build from an empty lot with the right values and the right goals. And we're going to try to make journalism work again in a way that we all aspire for it to work, to play the public service role that it plays. And uh, we were very lucky to get those folks. One of those early hires was Emily Ramshaw, who started with us as a reporter on healthcare, which she had been doing at the Dallas Morning News, ultimately became the editor-in-chief of the Tribune and then left us in 2019 to start the 19th, which is one of the most successful nonprofit startups yeah. uh, in the country, news uh, startups. We have enormous pride I made a reference at one point, uh, because I'm a certain age, David, that we were Maud and she was Rhoda. Uh, it was like she was the spinoff of the original series. And everyone's like, yeah, we have no idea. I'm, I'm not even going to try and explain that to people, <laughs> but I got you. People say, we have no idea what you're even talking about. No, like like no side of that, of <laughs> that reference. Rhoda, right? That sounds That's very, it. very strange. Yeah. Let, let, let me ask something. The thing that you make, aside from good journalism, stories, covering things, picking what to cover, what, where you want to be. Right. You're supposed to be making nonpartisan product. I mean, that's part of what right, you're right. selling to people. It's part of your pitch to funders. It's part of your pitch. to be, right. They want to go someplace where they feel like they're not going to get read a party line. Right. And, and in the way that we, as an investment business at Sixth Street, we, we make investment returns. That's what we're trying to do. And that's, that's demonstrable. How do you do that? How do you know that you're doing that? Are you performing it? Is it just yeah. you stack up the pieces and, you know, as you write them, you know who's following you? Like, What are the measures of nonpartisan? Well, the good thing about funding journalism, which is produced every day and is visible to the world on our website, is that the proof of concept is right in front of you. If you're a donor, you will see immediately instant feedback loop whether the work that we're producing is, in fact, nonpartisan as we promised you that it was. Presumably, there are yeah. some people who look at what we do and go, you know what? This is not nonpartisan as I define it. David, reality is subjective these days. Mm -hmm. 
We're living in a moment where fact and fiction have switched places. Things happen now in the world that you would never imagine were going to happen. And we now shrug our shoulders. We've legitimized and normalized the illegitimate and the abnormal consistently in this country for the better part of the last half decade or longer. Um, There are people who don't agree on in this state, people who read the Tribune, some people on the left, some people on the right, don't even agree on a common set of facts. Right. We tell our young reporters when they come to work for us, and we hire people who hopefully have not acquired bad habits that they have to unlearn. We tell them, pull no punches, but hit both cheeks. If you're only holding one side accountable, you're doing it wrong. There are good people and bad people on the left, and there are good people and bad people on the right. Not bad people in the sense of being bad people, but being bad actors in the public sphere. Um, Mm -hmm. You've got to cover both sides with equal uh, energy, enthusiasm, and commitment to searching for the truth and telling people what you find. That is the job of journalism. Being nonpartisan is not hard. I like to joke because I hate everybody on both sides. It's easy to be nonpartisan when you hate everybody. (laughs) But the reality is we don't endorse candidates. We don't editorialize on issues. We don't tell people, generally speaking, what to think. As you said, we tell people to think. That's the difference. And it's a material difference. We're giving people the inputs that they need to formulate their own opinions, takes, Who am I going to vote for? Do I think this is a good bill or a bad bill? Do I support this pivot in an issue or do I oppose it? We don't have to give them the conclusion that they arrive at, it ready-made with a bow around it. We have to give them the means to make that decision themselves. And I have no hesitation about providing people with a lot of information that they then decide, here's what I think about this. Um, If you look at our donor wall, we we are uh, compulsively transparent. And that's because one foundational value of this business is we don't believe that we should ask things of the people we cover that we're not willing to subject ourselves to as well. So if we ask transparency of elected officials, we want them to be completely transparent about their sources of campaign funding. We should be transparent about our sources of funding. So every single dollar, more than $100 million raised in 12 years, every dollar donated to the Texas Tribune going back to the beginning is on our website. Who gave it? How much? When? You can see it. It is the most Republican Republicans and the most Democratic Democrats, David, side by side. People who agree on almost nothing except the value of the Texas Tribune's work. That in some ways to me is a demonstration of our nonpartisan commitment and of our success at realizing it because they would not be supporting us if they felt like the other side was getting a fairer shake. And I should say Sixth Street is one of those donors. If I called you up and said, gee, Evan, I'd love you to cover this proposal that the SEC put out or something right. that could impact the business, what would you tell me? Fuck off. Here's your money back. <laughs> you know what? I've written checks back to donors. I have. It hasn't happened very often. And I can tell you that one of the great things is when you establish expectations up front, it's better. People get a tax letter and a handshake and the gratitude of a grateful state, mm-hmm. but they get nothing else. And that's if you give 50000 or $50. So $100 million bucks in, in 12 years is extraordinary Thank you. and has, has set the Texas Tribune up, and, and you've had an enormous success. And 
great circulation. What happens if it dries up? What's the plan? Like, what's the plan? Well, I've got six and a half million dollars in the bank as I'm sitting here today. Not all of it is unrestricted, but most of it is. I've got six months cash in the bank at any given time. Wait, what does it mean unrestricted? There are conditions on the funding? Well, in some cases, like, you know, Facebook gave us some money, the Facebook Journalism Project, for a best practices laboratory for the nonprofit news ecosystem on how to be more uh, creative in terms of generating revenue through the right doors as opposed to the wrong doors. And that money is expressly for that purpose. I see. If a donor says, I'm giving you this money to support a regional reporting initiative, Foundation in East Texas gives us money toward a fundraise specifically to create a bureau in East Texas. So we have a reporter covering rural Texas. We have to honor the donor's commitment and intent. That money is designated, if not outright restricted. I'm talking about pure unrestricted operating revenue in the bank that we can use just to do anything we want. We have about six months cash in the bank. As far as I'm concerned, is pretty good. It's an in case of emergency break glass. Mm-hmm. But ideally, I'd like to have 60 months cash in the bank or a mere 12 months cash in the bank. I mean, you know, it's, it's what it is. My view is that because we have diverse revenue sources, we are in some ways insulated against a day when the economy might go south and sources might dry up. We are about, in a given year, 20% major individual donations, wealthy individuals and family offices, about 20% institutional philanthropy, traditional foundations, about 20% corporate support, which is sponsorship, the artist formerly known as advertising, Mm -hmm. about 20% is revenue generated from the many events we do all year long, and then about 20% is traditional membership. And that actually is helpful to us because if one of those areas is down in a given year, another area may well be up in a given year and it all levels out. So we've managed to to be pretty smart about the revenue piece of this. And then we're very disciplined about expenses. The Facebook program, I mean, that's interesting, right? That they're um, putting money behind your initiatives and, yeah. and, and, and trying to get things right in journalism. Was that a tortured decision whether to take that money? Candidly, it was. Yeah. And I told them at the time it was. And I also said that when we took it, I was not going to hesitate if asked the question that you just asked. I would not hesitate to say that I did have some concerns. What Facebook was supporting, and I mean, again, I'll be totally transparent about it. It's not like I haven't said this many times before. It was two and a half million dollars they gave us to establish a revenue lab within the Texas Tribune, drawing on the lessons of our success and the lessons of others in the nonprofit news ecosystem and some for-profits who had succeeded at diversifying their revenue sources so that that success could be modeled as best practices for people just starting out. So we do coursework that we lead in major giving, in foundation support, in corporate sponsorship, in how to do events. And a number of nonprofit news leaders starting out sign up for these classes and we make them available for free. This is all funded by Facebook and we do a bunch of other things as well, convenings and stuff around the idea of of sustainability and nonprofit news. I have no problem with taking their money for that purpose at all. Yeah. And I'm I'm unapologetic about that. Lest people think, Evan, that this has been just a, you know, unobstructed march from idea to success. Yeah. What went wrong? What didn't work? Everything, David, everything went wrong. (laughs) Everything went wrong. Anybody who tells you that it's perfect is lying or is an idiot in any case like this. I mean, every single startup that you've ever invested in, every single business you've ever been associated with that I've been associated with has, has problems along the way. Some anticipated, some unanticipated, some created by others, and some are are just out and out self-owns. You think you know more than you do. 
I mean, I, I had been basically running Texas Monthly alongside the editor-in-chief for a few years before I became the editor-in-chief myself. And on the first day, July 1st of 2000, when I became the editor of the magazine, I thought, I'm the best prepared person for this job of anybody in history. It took me probably 12 months, conservatively, before I felt like I actually knew what the hell I was doing in a job that I thought I knew perfectly on the first day. It is so much different than you think it's going to be. Do you remember a moment where it's like, oh, that was awful? Uh, I remember the decision to build a, a content management system from scratch and a CRM from scratch as opposed to, you know, schmuck, just buy something off the shelf. I mean, why are you not just leaning into the work that others have done before? Why do you have to reinvent the wheel? We did that. We reinvented the wheel. We saddled ourselves with systems that were behind our website that we insisted upon building because God damn it, we knew better. We were going to make this, and we didn't have any claim on more knowledge about how to do this than anybody else. It is amazing that you're a journalist. This is what you do. The, the, you need to get smart enough on things that you absolutely have no idea what you're doing, and they really have huge impacts right. on, your, on everybody's day-to-day -day life for years. One of the things I've realized over these 13 years is that a lot of people who have great intentions, a lot of them come from the journalism side of journalism as opposed to the business side of journalism, think that just having a good idea mm -hmm. And identifying a need and an unserved audience is enough. It is not. It is the beginning of the conversation. But having a properly functioning technology team, platform team, product team, what have you, and having a properly functioning business side that you've sufficiently invested in is absolutely critical to your success. And if you don't do that, you're going to die on the vine. A good idea and 75 cents gets you a Dr. Pepper, right? You've got to figure out how to make it work on the other side of the business. What's your framework for thinking about that? Because that, that's like you don't want to overinvest in right. that stuff because, you know, you can gold plate something and and, and, and you've spent all your resources on right. that. You can't underinvest in it because you can't. And, and so there's like this balance. How do you what's your framework for thinking? about I, that? I had a calculation. I, it's a great, great question because I really did think a lot about this at the beginning. I said we had 17 people on the first day, November 3rd of 2009, 17 full time employees. I had enough money for those 17. And I said to myself at one point before this, I said, we can either have a sufficient investment on the business side and nothing to sell. Right. Or we can have an amazing product that over delivers, you know, outkicks our coverage. And at that point, we then backfill the business side, backfill the selling function. And I went with the latter. You know, yeah. I was I was thinking about Howell Raines, the former editor of the New York Times, saying we need to flood the zone. I wanted to flood the zone. Um, it would have been a Pyrrhic victory to have a properly functioning business side, but no business really. Yeah, And, and yeah. The, the, David, here's the thing. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. And right. I wanted right. us out of the gate not to limp, but to sprint. I wanted people to think on the first day, oh, man, they're serious about this. Because if you just like, you know, hey, we're, we've launched and then you have like one story and you have not really very good reporters and you haven't really shown the vision that you have for this place realized, people are not going to give you a second crack of the ball. Yeah, why, why are they going to go back? Why are they going to go back and have that second right. meeting? Hundred percent. It's it's a it's a very hard balance, and and, and it's it's I think it's the constant uh, the constant debate that you have to have in your head as you're forming a business. Yes, I want to talk about replicability and you know punching above your guys' weight. Sure. You mentioned Emily Renshaw on the 19th. That's a a wonderful story. Is this replicable? Are you starting to see things pop up in various parts of the country that that are kind of following the model? Are you helping them? Yeah. Is that it's going to just have to be local? Like, how do we see this going? It is. It is replicable. We don't want to be the ones to replicate it. You know, from the very beginning, we said we're not going to franchise a restaurant. 
and the reason, David, is a little bit what I said earlier about knowing Texas as well as I do. I will fight anybody for the title of I know Texas better than you. And at this point, I will win every single time. I do not know Nevada. I do not know California. I do not know Mississippi. People in those places know those places. They know what they need. They know who the players are, who the funders are, what the issues in play are. They should be the ones to solve the news desert problem in those communities. And the reality is that if we showed up on a white horse, hey, everybody, cavalry's arrived. We're here to save your journalism. They would drive us to the state line. They don't want that any more than we want that. So our position all along has been, you want to come to our restaurant, you want to look around the kitchen, see what equipment we bought. You want to talk to us about the menu and the pricing. You want to taste our food. Great. When you're done, go back and open your own damn restaurant. We're not franchising this thing. And in fact, what's happened over the years is you're exactly right, or you're anticipating what happened, is that people came to Texas. You know, there was a time there when it was probably two groups a month would come to Austin and they would kick our tires. They would say, we want to understand how you did this. We want to talk to your revenue people. We want to talk to your audience team. We want to talk to your technology team. We want to talk to your newsroom people. And they would take from those conversations the things that were relevant to them, for them, back home, and they would apply the ones that applied and they would not apply the ones that didn't apply. And they would add to those things, things that they figured out in their communities they needed. And then they would start their own thing. Well, the Nevada Independent in Las Vegas, Mississippi Today in Jackson, Mississippi, which happened because Andy Lack, who used to run NBC News and then was at Bloomberg, native Mississippian, yeah. came down by his lonesome, by himself to Austin, spent a couple of days with me. Gave a million dollars, I believe, and found other friends of his from childhood who had made money to give millions each. Started this incredible state news organization, Mississippi Today in Jackson, Mississippi. Cal Matters in Sacramento, California. Right now, the the hotel, I believe he's a hotel magnate, very wealthy individual, Stuart Bainham in Baltimore. In Baltimore. Yeah, is sure. starting something after he attempted and was unsuccessful, tried to buy the Chicago Tribune, the Baltimore Sun. He said, I'm going to commit $50, million to starting what is essentially the Texas Tribune of Baltimore. John and Laura Arnold, Rich and Nancy Kinder in Houston, along with Houston Endowment, have committed about $20 million to start what is essentially the Texas Tribune of Houston. Are these local news organizations that are styling themselves after us, using our model as their guide and their inspiration, not everything that we did, we help everybody. It is in everyone's interest for there to be a healthy ecosystem of news organizations, and it's going to be any and all, not either or. People want to pose this as binary, either newspapers right. or this innovative stuff. No, it's going to be both. And so it's great to see, gratifying to see these folks going forward, standing on our shoulders as we stood on the shoulders of others. Either or, it's interesting because the the, the for-profit papers, I mean, some of them are going to win. I mean, very few of them, the New York Times, Washington Post, the LA Times, whoever right. else. Um uh, you know, hopefully, but are they not able to put out quality product? Because I mean, they they obviously are, but like they're not nonprofit. They have those conflicts. Right. They have different things they they got to do. They got to write those headlines that get clicks. I mean, you do too, I guess. But how, how do I think about that? Well, our clicks are congressman steps down after acknowledging affair with ISIS bride, which honestly, <laughs> I mean, that was, honestly I mean, is entirely within. Story. But it's entirely within our wheelhouse to do that journalistically. It's not like you know celebrities with six toes, a slideshow, which was literally on the Houston Chronicle's website some number of years ago, and I was like, really, seriously. <laughs> This is end of times when that stuff actually is published. Um, yeah. No, no. look, so I think the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, I would say, are in a category of their own. 
Yeah. And then I think the, the, the local papers, even like the LA Times, Chicago Tribune, Atlanta Journal, in the big cities, Dallas, Houston, Austin, we have, as you know, David, five of the 12 largest cities by population here in Texas and the country, more than, more than any other state. Um, yep. Those guys are dealing with a different set of considerations. New York Times has been, in a quite remarkable way, been able to pivot the revenue model away from advertiser revenue and toward consumer revenue. Hmm. Washington Post has the benefit of Jeff Bezos and as an owner who is willing to spend as much as it takes to put resources toward reporting and all that. The Wall Street Journal is its own, you know, got its own financial foundation that it can draw on. You know, you would think that the very wealthy owner of the LA Times would be in the same vein as the Sulzberger family or the Bezos's, sort of. I mean, there's some good reporting in papers all over the country, in every paper all over the country, but it's not what it was once upon a time because the number of reporters they have. A former editor of the Dallas Boy News confessed to me his fear some years ago that he said, we had been a newsroom of record and now we're a newsroom of choice. We can no longer do all the things that we once upon a time did. We can't cover everything that happens in Dallas. We have to pick and choose. He said, the problem is the people in Dallas who read the morning news, they don't know that and they don't want that. They want us to still be a newsroom of record. We no right, longer have the right. resources to, to, to do that or to be that. Right. Um, and I really, I feel for him and I feel for all the people, my friends at all the papers who are trying as best as they can with good values, big hearts and a public spirit public spirited sense of their obligation and responsibility to to do as much as they possibly can, but they just simply can't do as much as they once upon a time could. Before I let you go, you announced at the beginning of the year that you're going to be stepping down at the end of the year. Right. You're staying on as an advisor this year, Texas Tribune. Right. Amazing. What's next? I mean, I think you said you don't, you're not done wanting to make the world better through journalism. Right. You're still a young guy. What's, uh, what's next? What, what are you thinking about? I mean, I really don't know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm not going to do. First of all, I'm not going to leave Austin. And second of all, while people have been very nice, I've had a lot of phone calls from people saying, oh, hey, we'd like you to come do this or we'd like you to think about doing that. It's much easier to say no to those things than I even thought. I mean, it's, you know, I had I had this anxiety the night before our news here became public that I was going to step down by the end of the year. I said to my wife, what if no one calls? <sighs> People have called. People have said, listen, we want to talk to you about what you're going to do next. We, you know, we want to. I'm in an advantaged position in that I'm going to spend the next six to seven months working my ass off here to do everything I possibly can to set the next person up for success. There's a national search that's begun for the new CEO of the Tribune. Organization's in great shape. Person comes in October, November. I will at that point become senior advisor through the end of 23. Got it. Advise that person on fundraising, introduce them around the state. I'll work about 15 hours a week beginning January 1st for all of next year here. And I'll pick up some other consulting stuff probably along the way, helping other people in other places, maybe some of the places I mentioned, figure out how yeah. they can do a version of what we did where they are. I will absolutely tell you that I do not know what the next year looks like. And I've had two jobs in 30 years with a weekend between them. I have never really had headspace to think about what I want to do next. I believe the world still needs saving. And I want to be the guy to save it, probably, not 100% certain, but probably through journalism. Um, I'm considering a couple of things, some some big things. I've got probably, you said I'm, I'm not that old. I'm 55, be 56 this year. I've probably got one or two more big things in me. You know, David, we all know in our lives what we can and cannot do. I cannot cook a, a steak. 
I cannot change a tire. You don't have to. I cannot. Well, you're exactly right. That's true. I cannot. That's probably how I got to this point, not cooking a steak. I cannot change a tire. Sadly, I am not off the hook on that one, but I can't do that either. But I know how to do this. And I've been, I've been very fortunate to get to know a lot of people in power who, through our journalism, have come to understand the importance of returning my phone calls. Um, I can get to and, and through to anybody. I know who the players are. I understand the game. I understand where the opportunities and the challenges are. And I want to apply that knowledge, those skills, to figuring out another way to help the world be better. People think I'm, um, I'm hiding the ball. You have something that you're going to do. You're just not telling us. No. I know, no. It's, I know it's boring, but I'm a Boy Scout, and all there is to talk about is square knots. There's nothing else. I've got nothing else to talk about. Um, <laughs> this is it. And so I'm going to figure it out over the next year, but um, I'm not done. There will be a next. I just don't know what the next is. First of all, thank you for doing everything that you've done and showing us a path to keeping journalism alive. It's such a I mean, it's an essential part of any functioning democracy, which we hope that will survive. And uh, and thanks for joining us. This is this is just an awesome conversation. I always love talking. Thanks. to you. And uh, we can't thank you enough for your time. It's my pleasure, David. Thank you so much. Evan Smith joined us for an interview on March 4th, 2022 from his home in Austin, Texas. We're thankful for Evan's candor and shedding light on how you build a business around a new concept in a traditional industry. Here's what I think we learned from him. One, you have to do the work and be a student of your craft. Two, as you prepare for growth, striking the balance between under and over investing in infrastructure is hard and you'll get it wrong. But do the thing you're supposed to do and do it well. Outsource the stuff you're not supposed to be doing and be intentional about resetting the balance once you achieve orbit. And three, diversify your revenue sources. And if you take money from social media conglomerates that may act antithetical to healthy dialogue at times, use that money for good and agonize over it. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Sixth Street, and Sixth Street is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of or listening to this podcast is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Sixth Street. Please see additional disclosures on our website for more details. You've been listening to It's Not Magic, a Sixth Street podcast. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at sixthstreet.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's show, please share it and follow at Sixth Street News for more on the show and our firm. Thanks to Sixth Street's production team, Patrick Clifford and Kate Hannock, for putting this together with sound engineering by Stephen Cologne and great assistance from Josh Benson at Old Town Media. Our theme song is It's Not Magic, an original creation by Patrick Dyer-Wolf. Once again, I'm David Stiefelman. Thanks for listening. Thank you.